This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Zephyr CMS. It's a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. You can find them at ZephyrCMS.com. More about this later in the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is John Warlow. He's the founder of the Value Builder System, which is a simple software for improving the value of a company. He's also the author of Built to Sell and The Automatic Customer. If you search through the archives, you'll find we did interviews on both of those books. And we're going to talk about a new book called The Art of Selling Your Business, Winning Strategies and Secret Hacks for Exiting on Top. John, welcome back. You're either a glutton for punishment or have a bad memory. I don't know what <laughs> what has me coming back three times for your. Oh, show. it's some of my favorite shows. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So, so in some ways, this book is the bookend of the trilogy. And yeah. so, I, I guess the first question I want to know is, what does this add to the conversation about selling uh, your business, which you started, of course, in Built to Sell? You know, it's the book I've always wanted to write. It's about how do you outmaneuver the other side. I think there's this there's this terrible legion of buyers out there who are private equity group mercenaries, they're corporate buyers and and they try to take advantage of entrepreneurs when they go to sell. And I pitched this idea to my publisher and they're like, "Yeah, no, I don't I don't think that's going to fly. There's such a few people who actually want to sell to a corporate, but it's something that I'm very passionate about." So I actually worked with the guys over at Inc. Magazine, and we're publishing this book together. So it's a new publishing relationship. Mm-hmm. But I just it's a topic that I feel very passionately about because I think too many entrepreneurs get taken advantage of in the final chapter, the time where they should be capturing all that value they've created, and they don't in many cases. So, so this is a little off topic. Is this a new venture for Inc. as well? They've not published no. books yeah, no, Inc. has its Inc. Originals okay. masthead. And so they've they publish uh, a number of, of authors. And yeah, no, it's not a new thing for Inc. But they, as part of that, they promote it a little bit in, in the magazine and online. So it, it helps with the publicity as well. Yeah, great. So you a great deal of the book is taken, or at least uh, the color from the book has been taken from uh, interviews that you've done on your own podcast. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I interview a different entrepreneur every week and have been doing so not as long as you, but since 2015. So we've got 300 episodes. And I looked at the entire library and I noticed that there's this sort of small cadre of entrepreneurs who seem to really outperform. They kind of outpunch or punch above their weight of the the typical multiples, the typical valuations. And so I re-listened to those episodes and tried to piece together what are the commonalities among all these sort of folks who seem to do much better than the average multiple. And and that's really the distillation of those insights is what I put in the book. So you've written prior to this just about the idea of getting your, your business ready to sell. And I think we can we can say without question that we shouldn't even have that conversation if the business is owner dependent. That's one of your core things, isn't it? That is the big theme. Yeah. If you want to distill everything in Built to Sell, the first book, down to a big idea, it's like, how do you get this thing, this company you've created, this agency you have, or whatever it is that you've built, how do you get it to run without you? And that's the whole premise of, of Built to Sell. So yeah, if you've got an, if you're, 
your business is very dependent on you. Don't buy the new book, buy the old book <laughs> and, <laughs> and read that and, uh, and try to get things to, to operate without you. So because we've had conversations before, I know that a lot of business owners, probably most business owners kind of overvalue their business. So in some ways you're suggesting coming out on top, exiting on top, these are companies that maybe are getting more than, I don't know, they should, or what the market might suggest. So how do you, how do you balance those two that a lot of people try to get more than a business is actually worth? And you're suggesting you can. Yeah. And it comes down to somehow finding a way to get multiple offers. A lot of entrepreneurs that I speak with have this aspiration to sell to a strategic acquirer. They're like, I want to sell to Google or Ford or Procter & Gamble, whatever, whoever yeah. they want to sell to. And they myopically focus on that company. And one of the things that I think is the secret to getting the, the absolute maximum for your company is getting multiple offers. And so right now, in addition to strategic buying companies, there is just a legion of private equity groups that are trying to gobble up businesses because money is essentially free. With interest rates being so low, it's very easy and cheap for them to borrow money. And so you have a ton of private equity groups, even individual investors trying to buy businesses. And so what I would counsel you to do is try to get multiple offers. Now you could maybe never want to sell to a private equity group or a financial advisor, but you can use their offer as a bargaining chip with the actual acquirer you want. And that's one of the secrets to, to jacking up, at least ensuring that at the end of your life, at the end of the run, you're not sitting there wondering, did I leave money on the table? Getting multiple offers will ensure what the value of your company is, not just what one company thinks the value of your company is. Well, and that may drive it over the value, right? A few years ago, my wife and I bought a house that went on the market at two o'clock in the afternoon and 14 people made offers. And so consequently, the end of the story is we got the house. Did we pay over the listing? Did we have to pay all cash? And that's what you're saying, right? That's exactly right. And brokers and M&A professionals hate it when you parallel or draw parallels between selling a home and selling a business. They say, oh no, it's very different. But in this measure on yeah, one right. of the secrets to getting maximum value, it, it actually is very similar. You, you really want multiple bidders all simultaneously looking at the property as best you can, thereby creating some competitive tension, some fear of missing out, and therefore an offer, which again, when you've got multiple, you, you can also gin one up against the other as, right. as you describe right. in your situation. So is there a perfect time? Do, do sometimes people wait too long? Uh, is there, obviously you and I are recording this at the beginning of 2021. There's still a lot going on in the world with a, a health crisis. Is what, what role does timing play in the whole cycle? Yeah. If I had a dollar for every time somebody has come up to me and says, man, I wish I had sold in 2019. <laughs> the economy was booming. Things right. were, you know, nobody knew. And, and I, equally, a lot of people are saying, oh man, I, 2020 was not a great year for my business. Maybe I should wait for three or four years before. Here's what I would say. The, the very best time to sell your company is when someone's buying. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that if you get approached by an acquirer that is interested in buying your company, it's a great conversation to have right now because they are motivated to buy your business. You're not asking them, they're asking you, which right. puts you in a great negotiating position. 
And it, it also is a really unique time in history. As again, we're talking January 2021. Interest rates are, as we talked about, very low right now. And all of the economics, the ROI calculator, stuff that goes way beyond my pay grade is all modeled based on interest rates. And so when interest rates are low, valuations are high. And so even though you may have had a crappy 2020, I wouldn't necessarily discount that now may be a great time uh, to sell because interest rates are so low. So as a buyer, especially some of the people you interviewed, did you find that that they were very proactive in going out and finding buyers rather than just putting a for sale sign in the yard? Sorry, you, you wasn't supposed to use the, the residential uh, metaphor <laughs> yeah, again. No, no, that's <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a, a process you go through where you're proactively courting a, a set of buyers. And, and a lot of the questions come down to like, how many should I go to? Should I go to hundreds or whatever? I'm reminded of a guy I wrote about named Peter Kelly. He built an auto trader. Are you familiar with auto trader? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. An auto trader for used car dealerships, how they could buy their inventory. And so he built this company and, and essentially is, is sort of disintermediating all of the old school auction houses. And there's three massive companies that sell used cars through auction. And Peter is building this, this, this site that is basically threatening all three of them. So over time, all three of them make offers to buy his business. Now, when he went to sell his company, he lived in fear that the actual brands, the OEMs, the General Motors and the Fords would create their own auction mm -hmm. website and effectively get rid of him. And so he didn't want to tip them off as to the fact that he was thinking of selling. So all he did was went to the three giant auctioneers that had approached him and say, okay, now's the time. You've all made offers. This is the date. This is the time. Make your best offer. And he played one off the other. And I think he sold for 200 million bucks or something, some crazy amount of money. But the secret here is knowing that he was able to get multiple offers because he'd already received three and he didn't want to tip off the other guys. So he didn't go to some massive auction. He just went very selectively to these three. And so the answer to how many folks you should go to depends on how many offers you've received and how important confidentiality is in your realm. Speaking of that is, is the process, the due diligence process can be invasive in, in a lot of ways. Are there special considerations when being acquired or selling to a competitor? Yeah, there sure are. There's a thing called gated disclosure, which means that Essentially, even though diligence, when you sign a letter of intent, you, you basically have usually a 60 or 90 day window where they can they check out your business and go through everything to make sure that what you said was correct. Gated diligence means that you release information in that diligence process in a staged basis. And you may say, why would that matter? The longer the acquirer does due diligence, the more they're investing in analysts and legal time, et cetera. And the more likely they are going to want to close the deal, the longer they take to invest in you. What gated diligence does is eliminate the, the shopper who's just really right. wants to know your secrets yeah, and yeah. makes an offer non-binding and then basically uses your secrets and, and doesn't buy your business gated process allows you to eliminate those folks because nobody's going to invest 50, 100, $200,000 in legal fees to just learn your secrets. I shouldn't say nobody. It, it makes that much less likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You know, today content is everything. So our websites are really content management systems, but they've got to work like one. Check out Zephyr. It is a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. It's really easy to use. It's very fast. Uh, it won't mess with your SEO. I mean, it really reduces the time and effort to, to launch uh, your client's websites. Beautiful themes, just really fast, profitable way to go. They include an agency services to really kind of make a, them your plug and play dev shop. Check out Zephyr.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R-C-M-S.com. So you've mentioned, and I want to talk about some of the success stories. I know that, that you've done, not only done interviews, you've featured some folks in your books, and, and I know you have a series that you're doing coming up this, this spring or the spring of 2021 as well. But what about all those listeners out there that think, man, if I could sell my business for $5 million, that would set me up. I'd be great. Is there a, a different mentality, a different shopper, a different way to approach what a lot of people would see as a pretty small scale sale, but to that individual is a big deal. Absolutely. It's a huge, it's life changing. It's, we talk about this thing called the freedom point and it's the point at which it, by selling your business, you effectively have a, a big enough nest egg that you can live comfortably for the rest of your life right. on the proceeds of that. And when you reach that point, whether that's for you, a million dollars, five million dollars, whatever the number, doesn't really matter. We all have our own definition of the freedom point. And when you reach it, it's just worth pulling up and asking yourself, okay, I could grow this business another 2X or 3X, but why do I want to do that? Because the risk I'm taking is like the poker player who puts all the chips in the, in the table every hand. The risk I'm taking is that I'm essentially risking my freedom yeah. for the next tranche of of value. And as long as you're doing that with forethought, that's okay. Lots of people want to grow businesses or have intrinsic reasons they want to grow businesses much bigger than they are. But know that every day you go to work being the 100% shareholder when your business is 50, 60, 70% of your net worth, you're effectively risking everything. And again, the pandemic was such a curveball for all of us. Nobody knew this was going to happen. And it's erased in many cases a lot of equity and I think a lot of people are sitting there scratching their heads saying, man, I wish I had sold when I could because now the, the business is not what it used to be. Yeah. And I laugh about that too, when people are like, yeah, we're at 50 headcount now and we're at this, but we're not making any more money than we were. And it's like yeah. that, that, that $2 million business that's 40% profit. I just, I just did an interview. It's so funny you should mention this. I did an interview with a guy named Rob Walling. He has the email marketing software Drip. Do those guys at all? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the company for sure. Yeah, I'm sure you would have seen that application uh, for your work. Anyways, Rob builds a little business to $2 million of annual ARR, annual recurring revenue. It's a SaaS company. And, and somebody tells him that his business is probably worth, given the growth rate and the churn, blah, 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 it's probably worth between nine and 12 times AR. So you do the math on that. This is a young, Rob's a young guy. It's a young business and it's worth like life-changing amount of money. You can compare and contrast that to the guy you described, John, where it's it's a 40-employee company. It's a $10 million business, but it's like largely dependent on that owner. There's very little process. In it, and <laughs> there's a ton of debt. There's no profitability. And they've been chasing revenue because the, the goal has always been top line. That's what I can puff my chest out and tell my friends about. But 
man, a little $2 million business run the right way in the right industry can be you know, life-changing. Yeah. Why don't uh, you take us out with one of your, a success story that is somebody you interviewed or featured in, in the book that, that you think did it right? Oh man. I mean, one of my favorites is, is Stephanie Breedlove. Have you ever had Stephanie on the podcast? No, I have not. So she's, she'd be worth chatting with at some point. So she starts a little payroll company for parents who have nannies to pay. Mm. And this business grows to like, I'm getting the numbers, I think it's around $10 million of annual revenue. She's got about 10,000 customers. And she looks out into the universe and says, who would want to buy this business? And that's one of the ways you, you maximize sure. your value. You look at the strategic wires. She comes across care.com, which is like the Angie's list of care providers. You plug in your zip code. It'll tell you who the babysitters are in your local area. So care.com at the time of the acquisition of this little payroll service has 7 million subscribers. So Stephanie, first of all, Stephanie gets an offer uh, for her little $10 million business of $40 million. So four times top line revenue, which on the surface is astronomical. But Breedlove being a savvy entrepreneur says, that's not quite what I had in mind. She goes back to them and says, look, if just, just 1% of your 7 million subscribers buy my payroll service, it's 70,000 customers. We're doing this well on 10,000 customers. It's seven times the size. If 2% and she does the math on 5% and she builds the spreadsheet. Anyways, long story short, she gets $54 million for this little payroll company based in Austin. It's just an unbelievable story. What the, the key lesson though, is if you're trying to negotiate with an acquirer and you're trying to get them to boost up the value that they're willing to pay, do the math. For them, yeah. it's not an, it's, for you, it's very emotional, right? Yeah. For them, it's not very emotional. It's a very clinical decision. And if you could quantify the strategic value that they stand to gain. That's one of the negotiation tactics you can use to really jack up the value you get from your business. And it's funny because I'm sure they were just, their lawyers or whoever were just doing math. And I bet money that that they added $100 million in top line revenue with that acquisition. Whoa. Absolutely. Overnight. Yeah, just look at the math, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the key takers for, for us. And I think I speak with you. And I think we, we have this in, in common that we really have an emotional attachment to small business owners. We want them to do well and realize what a huge contribution they make to the economy. And I think all those things are true. It's one of the reasons that for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's such an emotional thing to own a company, to yeah. be a member of their society, to, to employ people, et cetera. Yet for buyers, they're like these clinical mercenaries that, that it's not emotional. And the more you can step into their world and, and lessen the emotion, the more value you, you stand to gain. Yeah, I remember a few years ago when people were rolling up all these industries, talk about non-emotional. Like, Go out and buy me 27 HVAC contractors <laughs> yeah. in, in these cities. And man, I bet you those negotiations were, were brutal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They have, yeah, they have a, a model that they're using. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely. John, tell people where they can find out more about your work and certainly uh, the art of selling your business. Awesome. It's just builttosell.com. And we put together some unique offers. You referenced, we've got a little speaker series for people who order the book this week. So builttosell.com slash selling, and you'll find all those offers. We'll have it in the show notes as well. So John, great catching up with you as always. Hopefully uh, one of these days we'll both get back out there on the road and we can. Wouldn't that be great? I can't wait. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thanks, John.